G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. And uh, today we're going to explore what it means to be a man in the context of the Bible. Modern society is trying to redefine the roles and meaning of both men and women. Even the concept of gender itself is being questioned and changed. But God's word is eternal and it is as true today as it ever was. And if we believe in Jesus, we need to know what God says about manhood and how we need to apply that into our everyday lives. But let's be clear, this is also a message for women and girls. What does a man look like in a biblical context? That should affect uh, you know, how the man acts and treats others, including women and girls as well. Well, my guest today is a pastor from the US, Michael Foster. He's written a book called It's Good to Be a Man. It's a refreshing message and a relevant topic for today, and I want to welcome Michael Foster to 2020. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So good to have you here, and welcome to Australia. I believe this is your first time in Australia, is that right? It's my first time living in the United States. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay, so it's pretty big for you to go <laughs> jump on a plane and fly, I don't know what it is, 20 hours or something? 16 hours from LA to here, and it took me eight hours to get to LA. So it's, it, was wow. a, it was a journey. I fell asleep, and I woke up, and it was still 12 hours ago. Okay, right. <laughs> that would have been an experience. For sure. Welcome to Australia. I'm not sure if you had a chance yet to, I mean, obviously, in my experience, when Americans come, they want to see a kangaroo, a koala, you know, this sort of thing. So have you had a chance to do any of those sorts of touristy things? I did about four four to six hours in Sydney, rode the ferries. My big goal was to either wrestle a uh, alligator or a crocodile or, or to box a kangaroo, <laughs> okay. and that has not happened yet. But not yet. There's still time. There's Maybe time. on the weekend. Yeah. Maybe we'll see, we'll see how where go. it goes. <laughs> So, look, tell us for those that uh, are not familiar with you, who is Michael Foster? Like you, you mentioned you come from the States, but obviously a, a little way from LA. So, where, where do you live and where, where's your family? So, I live in the Midwest. I live just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, in a little town called Batavia. That's where I pastor. I pastor a church called East River Church. We planted the church three years ago during the pandemic. Um, I've been in the ministry in one shape or another for about 20 years, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm married to my wife, Emily. Uh, God has blessed us with uh, seven kids. We have four boys, three girls. Wow. And um, yeah, it's just good to be to, to serve the church. And I teach on a lot of things, but kind of one of the big topics that I've written on that's really taken off, especially these last couple of years, has been biblical sexuality and, and manhood in particular. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. You've written this book or co-authored a book called It's Good to Be a Man. And it is, I guess, in our society. I mean, even just to say that sometimes can like get people's you know, attention and like, uh, you know, are you comfortable saying that? All this sort of thing, like, because I guess there's a lot of uh, political correctness around that these days. So, what was it like for you, I mean, even just deciding to, to write a book? Because, I mean, in some respects, you're kind of you know, waving a red flag saying, come and get me. <laughs> so. Well, it's interesting you say that because when I came up with that title, I wanted to pick something positive, right? And so scriptures, make, God makes man and woman, and then he says, it's, this is good. It's very mm. good, right? So it shouldn't really be controversial to say it's good to be a man or it's good to be a woman, but we've allowed the kind of narrative of the day to make us think of sexuality as a zero-sum game. So for 
to be good to be a man means it's bad to be a woman Mm -hmm. or vice versa, right? But clearly that's not true. God made us uh, as uh, to complement one another. And so I wanted just to focus on the goodness of masculinity. I didn't want to to write a book about how terrible feminism is, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't like feminism, but I wanted to start with uh, what's positive, what's constructive, how to be a man, how to fulfill your your God uh, ordained destiny as a male. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how has it been received? Because, I mean, I'm sure that there would be some that would just read the title and go, oh, this is bad, and then just go yeah, on the attack. Yeah. <laughs> has that been the case? It's been really positive. I think Goodreads, we have over a 1,000 ratings. It's like 4.4 stars, and it's something like that on, on Amazon as well. I keep waiting for that three-star review that really finds something I messed up on, mm-hmm. right? Because when you're writing a book, you're not you're going to make mistakes. And a one-star review doesn't almost ever mean anything, right? It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, they hate women. If you read that, that's clearly not true. Uh, but uh, we've had some pushback, but I, I'm looking for better critiques than the ones I've gotten. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people just don't read it. The, the, a lot of people are mad that the book isn't about what they want it to be about. Yeah, right. Oh, they don't, they don't talk about women at all. Well, it's, it's good to be a man. <laughs> and, that's the, the book is, <laughs> and the book's not really on how to be a husband or or how to even be a father. We don't even get to being a husband really to the very final chapter. Mm. And that just scratches the surface. The idea is before you're going to be a husband or be a father, you should be a man, mm-hmm. right? You should be mature. So we wanted to focus on a book on how manhood was lost. That's kind of the first seven chapters and how manhood would be regained. That's the second uh, mm-hmm. seven chapters. And the fulcrum is really the gospel is right at the heart of it. Um, if you grew up without a dad, uh, God loves orphans, and and being fatherless is something like being an orphan, right? Mm-hmm. And so the gospel reorientates us to God the Father. Now you belong to His family. You're a son, and that that gives you the ability to start to reclaim your manhood. Mm, that's great. And obviously, we live in an era where fatherlessness is just huge. I mean, it's there's you know, the percentages, and I'm obviously. You know, probably there's a little bit of difference between the U.S. and Australia, but it's much the same. You know, fatherlessness is massive. The impact of fatherlessness is huge. So what have you sort of, I guess, discovered and then written about in that context of fatherlessness? Yeah. So guys, uh, so you learn how to be a man by watching, by examples. We even see this in scripture where Paul says, you know, follow my example, emulate me. And so if you don't have a dad in your home, there's a lot of things you just never learn. And that leads to many either being effeminate Right, so they're taking on feminine qualities. Those qualities in a woman are beautiful, but repulsive in a man. So that's where guys kind of become soft and girly because all they know is that world. Or they kind of go to movies and social media, and they become these macho guys, which is this uh, kind of cardboard cutout, uh, fake extreme of manhood. Neither of those are good, mm. right? A man should be meek and gentle. Meek, we think, means weak. It doesn't. It's strength under control. Yeah, yeah. I always tell people like gentleness is if you throw a bag of potatoes in the back of your car, that's gentle. They're potatoes, right? Whatever. If you throw a lamp in the back of your car, it'll break. That's not gentle. So gentleness is appropriate. So men know how to shake another man's hand. It's a strong handshake, but they're not going to shake an older woman's or a woman's hand that way. That's gentleness. And so if you haven't had a good dad, you're not going to really know how to use your strength, uh, your kind of masculine presence for, for the glory of God. 
And so these guys are turning to YouTube. Like if I don't know how to fix something, I'll go to YouTube and I'll look it up. If I don't know how to do a half Windsor knot, I'm going to, how do I do a half Windsor knot? I got a, I got a job interview. I got to do this really quick. Mm-hmm. Now guys are going there on how to be a man, how to be a father. So they find people like Joe Rogan or they find Jordan Peterson or Andrew Tate or whoever's kind of the flavor of the time. And there are some good practical things said by those people, some more so than other. Jordan Peterson's way better than, say, Andrew Tate, mm-hmm. but it's still not Christian. And so you don't have the purpose of the gospel, uh, the instructions of scripture behind all this. A lot of it kind of rests on like evolutionary psychology or just pure pragmatism. And it'll help guys get started, like basic things like clean your room. And that that's actually helpful. Take dominion, take control where you can, start mm-hmm. there, and that'll lead to other things. But why? Why do I have to clean my room for what purpose well because god has made you to order the world Mm -hmm. right so if you're not going to teach them purpose you're going to have um you're going to have guys that are directionalists and they'll use their god-given strength for things that aren't good yeah that's right it's interesting that you you talk about the the gospel being the fulcrum of your book because i guess you know when you have the situation where a, a, a man a father is sort of instructing his son you know, in some of these practical stuff, but then obviously that understanding of like the the purpose of it, the you know God's you know ordained it to be this way, that's going to have a much you know greater effect, isn't it? Amen. Yeah, I mean, you need to know why you're here. You need to know why you're working towards things. It meant God has made us to be mission oriented creatures. He's given us work to do. We don't just exist to sit around. That's kind of like where things are messed up with our understanding of salvation by faith alone or justification by faith alone. We are justified by faith alone, but faith is never alone. God saves us for a purpose, right? Sanctification, to grow in holiness, to to live out uh, uh, that in every area of life for his glory and the good of others. And so that all needs to be anchored in an understanding of, of, of the purposes of Scripture. So the cultural mandate, be fruitful, multiply, rule and reign, subdue the earth. That is where we start in Genesis. It's restated in Genesis, uh, I believe it's chapter 9 with Noah. But the Great Commission makes that possible because that was prior to the fall. And now we have to have our hearts renewed. And I think key to understanding biblical manhood is that uh, the devil doesn't create anything new. So our masculine urges, like a sex, take a sex drive. Sex drive is uh, just a, a thing of nature but it needs to be repurposed by grace for the glory of God. So grace restores nature. It doesn't obliterate it, and it also doesn't elevate it. It restores it to original design under God's God's word. And so we need to tell guys, like, look, your desire to conquer things is good if it's for the glory of God. Don't waste it on video games. Don't become a punk. Don't become, like, involved in violence. Uh, but you, we need masculine people. The only thing that will protect um, us from dangerous men is dangerous men that are virtuous. Mm. And so that desire to be dangerous, to be strong, to take risk, all that stuff is God-given. It just needs to be reordered according to the Word of God. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Word of God, you a quote early on in your book, you say, patriarchy is the natural rulership of men. Uh, it is what makes society function, and it is not something that can be changed. Men were made to rule, and they always will. So that's sort of, I guess, getting back to that understanding of like this is how you know things were made you know, in, in the first instance. Right. But obviously, that's you know 
somewhat of a controversial statement these days because you know anything that you, where you're sort of you know elevating patriarchy is like oh you can't yeah. say that well yeah and what's key to that is to understand so take heterosexuality okay heterosexuality is natural that doesn't mean every form of it's good right so uh, fornication between a man and a woman that's still heterosexual but that's fornication it's wrong so patriarchy is natural it's part of God's design for the cosmos, the structure of things. But that doesn't mean every form of patriarchy is good. There's such thing as evil patriarchs. Mm. Pharaoh would be a great example. But the best example is the devil, who's called the father of lies, right? So there's such thing as an evil patriarchy. But there's also the good patriarchy, God the father. So Ephesians says, uh, fatherhood from which uh, of the father from which all fatherhood gets its name, right? And so... Uh, we have to understand that it's natural, but it has to be ordered again by grace. It has to uh, be submitted to God's law or else it'll be for selfish reasons. So you have guys like Cain, they build a city, name it after their son. So it's for their glory where God wants us to build things for his glory. And so anytime someone builds a structure like the Tower of Babel to make their name great, God tears it down. But on the day of Pentecost, what do we hear? They're speaking in tongues and then it's translated and they're, they're declaring the mighty works of God. So man gets one voice to raise their name up on high in one language, but then God brings people of many different languages together to bring his name up on high. Mm. That is biblical patriarchy, yeah. which is living for the glory of God and the good of others. And uh, Michael, yeah, we don't get to choose to be a, ma- a male. We're, not, we're born male. Oh, of course, these days we've got people that are saying that yeah, we can choose our gender, but we don't choose to be born male, but we can choose to be a man. And there's a really important, uh, I guess, part of that, isn't there? I mean, you earlier were talking about, you know, young, uh, well, not even boys, you know, young adults who just spend their time playing video games and that sort of thing. But we need to make that choice, don't we, to step into manhood. What, what does that look like for, for Christians particularly? Well, we used to have rites of passage, right? <clears throat> to be a man was to do your bar mitzvah or to go out and kill a buffalo or something, right? So you'd leave the world of, of boys and then move into the world of man. And, and that's hard when you don't have fathers that kind of – like in my household, you get a knife when you turn a certain age and, I, this, and then we, our kids get guns when they're eight. I'm just joking, Australia. Uh-uh. <laughs> but uh, I know you all think that. Uh, no, so I think you have to be welcome into the world of, of men uh, by other men. And so that's, that's why pastors – have to step in and help these guys say, hey, part of being a man is taking first off responsibility for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? That's why, why, why guys like Jordan Peterson say clean your room. That helps. right? That's the first step of taking responsibility for yourself. But you can't rule others if you won't rule yourself. And if you don't know how to control your own uh, appetites and, and, and drives and, and priorities, you're going to be a terrible leader of others. And that's really the problem with most men is that they're, they're not disciplined. And so discipline is always painful for them the moment, but it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness over the long long haul. And so how do you become a man? Well, you start taking responsibility for yourself and for others, mm. right? So wake up. Uh, do, if you're a student, get your studies done. Do a good job. Do it for the glory of God. Uh, ask your mom and dad or wh- whatever your family situation is, how you can help and serve. Uh, build great spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible, prayer, going to church every Sunday. Those, uh, It's like when you work out. If you work out once, you're not going to fall. You're not going to be in shape. But if you work out, just you know, go to the gym and work out for four hours and then never go again. 
<laughs> That's not going to work. Mm. But if you go to the gym uh, 20 minutes, three times a week for a year, it's going to change your entire life. Mm. So just adopt those basic disciplines and they'll they'll help you grow into the virtue you need to get things done. So you get gravitas. It's like a gravitational pull. The more you discipline yourself, the more you get things done, the more people trust you. And a guy with gravitas, right, it's a Roman idea, it's a Roman virtue of like weight or seriousness. You can tell when those guys walk in a room because they have they have a presence. You you develop that by throwing yourself into life, by serving God and giving him glory. That's how you move into manhood. And soon it's like, not only can I take care of myself, but I can take care of my wife. And here's the, the reward for doing a good job is always more work. Mm. Right. So now I, I took care of myself and then a woman said, Hey, I'll actually marry you. So I married her and then God blesses us with a bunch of children. And now I'm blessed with the responsibility of a church and businesses and things like that. So it's the glad assumption of responsibility for the glory of God and good for others. That's manhood. So where are you taking responsibility? Right. Look at your life right now. Are you taking responsibility for yourself? If not, repent and start there. Mm, yeah, good point. It, you can't. Um, I can't hear what you're saying without thinking of Ed Cole. I don't know if you remember Ed Cole was uh, way back, uh, probably I don't know, thirty years ago. He wrote this series of books called Maximize Manhood, and he was right. It was around the era of like the Promise Keepers and that okay, sort of yeah. thing. But uh, one of his quotes was, "Maturity is the acceptance of responsibility," and that's exactly what you're saying. That you that's know, what as we says. you know embrace that and say, "I'm going to be responsible for myself first, and then." You know, sort of flow out from there. It's gonna, it's gonna have a huge effect. So, uh, yeah, it's really important, I, I think, to to grapple with this and to understand how it plays out into our society as well. Michael, we've uh, got this uh, comment that we want to uh, use as a springboard for this next uh, section of our time. Uh, I think people are so confused about biblical manhood and the rise and influence of feminism, even in the church, uh, that people don't know how to respond. Or what to ask? It's uh, sometimes can be a bit of a you know you almost feel hesitant to say anything because you don't want to be you know tarred with with the wrong brush, so to speak. Yeah. So there's been a cultural tsunami. A tsunami. It's a big old wave that comes in, destroys everything, and then it goes back out to sea and it drags stuff with it, right? And so basically, we've had all these waves of feminism. We've had uh, we've had things like birth control. We've had no fault divorce. We've had um, Adderall, uh, methylphenidate, uh, different forms of education. They've all reshaped society in the West. And now a generation has uh, arisen that doesn't know what it means to be a man or a woman. What once was just normal, like you could find all this stuff that I'm talking about is boring. It was boring 50 years ago, but now it's like shocking. And that shows how far we've gone away from the truth and just how evil the culture of our day is. It's washed things away. Guys don't know how to be a man. Guys don't know how to shake hands and look someone in the eye. They don't know that it's their responsibility to leave their home. At least they don't act like it. Women don't know that it's their job to compliment and uh, and help a man in the leading of the household. That is good to be a mother. Babies are great. If it has whiskers, it's not a baby. Okay, <laughs> right? It's not. And and dogs and cats are fine in their place, but nothing is as great as a child. It's a, a huge blessing from the Lord. And nowadays, people don't prioritize marriage. They don't prioritize having children. And that is going to lead to the destruction of a society. What we like to say in the book is, as a man goes, so goes society, right? As a man goes, so goes this household. As a household goes, so goes mm-hmm. society. 
And if we don't have good, godly men who are good at being a man, right, they can get masculine things done. Like one thing, there's a, there's a Canadian comedian uh, called Red Green, and he used to say, if they, if they don't find you handsome, at least let them find you handy. Right. Be able to get things done. Right. So a guy is someone that knows how to make things work. He's someone that knows how to have dominion. That's what uh, that was Adam's job. Right. Go shape the world. And then Adam looks at it. And he says, that's a big job for a man. He says, that's right. It's not good for you to be alone. He gives them a woman and they have this mission to build these households for the glory of God. Mm. We've lost that. And, you know, I'm down at Sydney and I'm watching all these people and they're 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 lovely people and they're happy. But I have to wonder, like, how many of them uh, they're living in the lap of luxury. And some of you guys out there in Sydney, I know you're not, but I was down by Manly Beach and I got the sense they were. I wonder how many of them are going to wake up lonely in their 50s and 60s by themselves, mm. right? Not being married. People will say that there's no such thing as lonely old men. That is a lie. I have been there with people towards the end of their life and they have no kids. They have no grandkids or they only had one and that kid moved away to the other side of the continent. You know, this is God's design. And if you rail against God's design, it's going to destroy everything. I asked someone, how, let's just pretend everyone's gay. Let's say everyone's a homosexual. How long does that planet last? One generation. That's it. You can't rail against God's design and there not be chaos. So we look around the West and where does all these problems come from? Is it, you know, I always ask people, did they take our culture from us with a gun? No, we surrendered it. And if we want to get it back, a good place to start is calling men to their God-ordained, God-designed responsibility to be virtuous, God-free men that lead people. Mm. A lot of times when people hear us talk about patriarchy, they think about negative forms of patriarchy, people that have actually been abused by men. And they think if we talk about strength, we're talking about strength in an abusive way. Well, that exists. There's no denial of that. But again, who will stop strong, abusive men? Well, strong, godly men. And so you can't get rid of strength. Strength is going to be somewhere in the world. What we need is people that fear God. So this is something that pastors should be preaching. Men are, first off, tend to make more money. They tend to tithe more. They tend to be more invested in the church. Uh, If you want a strong church, get men involved. It's funny. Think about this. What what is easier? Uh, A room of women singing high pitch. Can a man match that in the way that women can match a room full of men singing in a deep voice? Right. Even in singing, it's easier for women to follow men than it is for men to follow women. And so if you want to get people singing in worship, get the men singing loud. What that's what we need. We need we need our churches full of the booming male voices that love God, right? And love others. Without that, there's no hope. And people that are thinking about political power, uh, people that are thinking about um all these different ways of engaging in cultural warfare, if they're not reaching men with the gospel and aiming those masculine gifts of strength, risk-taking, boldness back to the glory of God, there's no hope. And that's it all hinges. It's a spiritual battle, you know? Yeah, well, that's right. And I was just about to say that, you know, the, the battle isn't against flesh and blood, and it's important. I mean, you mentioned about abuse, and I mean— in Australia, domestic violence is a scourge. Like, it's just atrocious, the amount that's going on. People that are being killed you know, virtually every week uh, in their homes um, through domestic violence, predominantly you know, perpetrated by men on women. So that's not what you're advocating. Like, you're actually saying... No, that, I, hate, I hate being hit by people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. No one likes that. No, not at all. The thing is, you have to ask, though, why are 80% of violent um, criminals men? right? The ones that are in jail. What's so different about men? Well, because men and women aren't the same. Men have testosterone. They have this aggressiveness. It's not going anywhere. It's in our biology. So we have to ask, what do we do with it? 
Are we going to pacify them? Are we going to drug all of them? Are we going to castrate all of them? Is that what we need in an emasculated society? We don't need an emasculated society. We need a masculine society where that strength is used for goodness. So we have to teach these people mm. how to be manly, how to use that. That And that comes from fathers. Uh, so we have to, what we need is a revival in fatherhood, mm. right? We need godly men. And it's, this starts with one guy. Right, just start where you can. Don't tr- everyone thinks so top down? I'm like, I don't know. Like Christianity started with a bunch of poor people, bottom up, and then before you know it, you've got uh, Romans and people high up converting. Let's focus where we're at and call our men back to discipling their family. Start just by reading the Bible around the dinner table for five minutes, right, and say what stuck out to you, and then let the kids talk, let your wife talk, pray together. Do that for a year. Your whole life will be turned upside down. Mm. Yeah, good point. Another quote from your book, you said, a man is not a deficient woman and a woman is not a deficient man. So obviously we're made to complement each other. So how have we got that wrong? Because I think in our society today, like we, we don't really understand that well, do we? Yeah. Well, people think that we're interchangeable, right? That we're androgynous. But men and women are like <laughs> totally different in their hormonal and biological makeup. Right. This is so, so different. When you look at two skeletons, you can just look at uh, at their hips and say, that's a woman. That's a man. So women are better uh, near like nurturers, like men make bad moms. Right. They're not good at it. they make great fathers, though. I'm never going to be a good mom. And anyone that grew up in a single parent family, you know, there's a there's like you can have a parent that does the best job possible and you're thankful for them, but it still isn't what it could be if you had the opposite parent deeply involved. Mm-hmm. And so androgyny teaches us that uh, that the sexes are interchangeable. This is what you have to understand about feminism that I don't think people get. It's not about equality, right? Maybe some versions of it is, but nowadays it's about sameness. It's about blurring the lines. Men, uh, men are good at being aggressive. Men are good at, uh, like, think about soldiers, right? Men make good soldiers because they can kind of disconnect themselves from the emotional intensity in a battle. They have to deal with it down the road. That's where PTSD comes mm, from. Yeah. But women, they're going to, like, experience that emotionally all at once. That's not good for a soldier. That is absolutely fantastic for being a mother, for being someone that knits and cultivates people together. Women are great at including people and making them feel welcome. But that's not great if you're a pastor, right? Because there are some people we must keep out of the church, right? We have to protect the bounds of the church. There are some people when they start teaching false teachings that as much as we care about them, the most loving thing to do is get out. Mm. And so you can even see the masculine and feminine makeup, how they can be turned uh, in evil ways. A woman's desire to include people can be bad if you're including heretics and false teachers in your church. But it's great if you're trying to make uh, those that are friend don't have friends and are, are looked over, you want them to be mothered and cared for. That's a beautiful thing. Men's aggressiveness can turn into something like physical abuse. Or it also can say, you get out of here. You may not do that, right? So that's why we need each other. We benefit. We complement each other. It's not a war uh, of the sexes. It's a war on gender. Mm, yeah, good point. A reminder that the phone lines are open. You can call through with a question. Maybe something that uh, Michael said uh, this morning has sort of uh, you know sparked uh, something, a question, or maybe you want to uh, clarify, uh, want him to clarify something. You can call through on 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. Another thing in your book, you say that men are supposed to be, uh, men are supposed to found households, join brotherhoods, and work towards a mission. I'm keen to explore that idea of brotherhood because you know there is something to be said for men, you know, sort of you know 
working together and sort of linking arms in that way. What, what were you talking about there where you talk about brotherhood? Yeah, so guys are isolated. Guys don't have very many friends these days. And guys need friends. And we see a great picture of friendship in David and Jonathan. So, you know, in a sense, Jonathan was the heir to the kingdom. But he knew that God had chosen David, and he loved David and supported him. We live in such an evil age that they see that as something homoerotic, as if guys can't just be friends and have each other's back. And it wasn't gay. They loved each other, as brothers do, right? And there's a way that same-sex relationships that are platonic are, are, are superior than opposite sex friendships. Like when I relate to my wife, I relate to her as a man relates to a woman. And it's good. It's beautiful. But there's something being just with the guys. There's a brotherhood. There's a sister. These things are good. The reason this is so important is men are going to be drawn into a brotherhood. That's why in the first chapter of Proverbs, right away, King Solomon says, look, these guys are going to call you. Come hang out with us. We'll go jump these people. Mm. We'll split it all. And, and that's very attractive to a young man. Why do people – so here's like take video games. I want to tell my sons, go outside and play with the other kids. The other kids aren't outside, man. They're <laughs> online playing. Yeah. And so we got these boys, they're playing war games or first-person shooters or whatever with a bunch of guys talking over. So they got, they're, they're organized around mission, kidding, opening up their life. Guys are like that. Guys love brotherhood. That's the actual danger of video games. Isn't that they're not masculine, but that they appeal to masculine desires, which is to be part of a group, have an order. Like when guys tease each other, when we make fun of each other, we don't mean it. Women compliment each other and don't mean it. Guys tease each other and don't mean it, right? And so when we're teasing each other, we're kind of feeling each other out. Can, can, is this a guy that can roll at the blow? Is he going to laugh and, and, and find his place in the group? Mm. It's kind of establishing a pecking order. It doesn't have to be bullying. It can go that way. But it's more of just like, you know, like the big, the big fat guy is called Tiny. Right. And after a while, he loves it because you know you love him. And anyone else makes fun of him. If someone makes fun of him from being fat, you're going to slap that guy around. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's like right. only we get to call Tiny Tiny, not you. Yeah. Um, so that's that sort of brotherhood having each other's back. Uh, there's guys I can call up and process my problems with. And then I make sure in my marriage that my wife has a woman that she's allowed to talk to anything she wants to about. Mm-hmm. Right. So you don't like if you're having problems in your sex life, it's nice to have someone that's safe. You have to have those people to process those things through so you don't feel isolated. And, and guys, it really helps when a guy says, no, you should be listening to your wife. She's right on this one. Or no, you just have to work how you're communicating. She, she's not right, but she's just scared because you've made promises before and broke whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. You need those people in your life to speak wisdom. And you see that throughout scripture, the need to go seek counselors and the, and the value of a brotherhood. I love that when Paul's out planting churches, he doesn't do it by himself. There's a bunch of guys. And so uh, I can't say of the the thumb, I have no need of you. And that works out in these male groups. And with good male groups, it's going to reinforce virtue. In bad male groups, it's going to go the opposite way and reinforce mm. sin. Yeah. So I guess it comes back to what you said towards the beginning about patriarchy. Like you've either got evil or good patriarchy. Right. And so it's a bit the evil same. Evil or good brotherhood. Yeah. That's right. And what is... What is the church but a family? And so part of the way you see the familial language use uh, younger women are be treated as sisters in all purity. Mm-hmm. So you see that language. There's a brotherhood that should exist. If there's a, a, a brother to sister relationship with younger women, why wouldn't there be a brother to brother with men? Mm. Right, right. It follows the same logic. Yeah, for sure. We've got about 10 minutes left, and I want to—I did promise we'd talk a bit about marriage because it is marriage week after all. You've just mentioned your wife a couple of times there in that last few minutes. So let's talk about 
manhood in relation to you know, being a husband? Because, I mean, as you said earlier, like you've got to become a man really before you become a husband. But again, we live in a society where there's a lot of husbands that still haven't grown up yet. So what's the dynamic in that? And, and how can we actually maximize um, our marriage in relation to manhood? Yeah, a lot of guys, so there's a sort of biological imperative to find a woman, right? You have a sex drive. And so a lot of guys will get a woman and get married. And then when they have a kid, they suddenly realize, I don't know how to be a man. Mm. I don't know how to be a father, right? So a lot of things that trigger guys into searching uh, on topics like masculinity is is the birth of their first child, in, in particular, if it's a son, because they know that manhood's kind of like a baton you have to hand mm-hmm. off. And you look at your hand, there's no baton, right? And you freak out. So what I would say is, one, we need to make sure that marriage is honored. It's a glorious, good thing given to us by God. It's a place where our sex, like in ter- terms of coitus, like actual intercourse, is good and appropriate and leads to life, right? It, bring, it literally ties a man and a woman together. It's a source of comfort and relaxation, and it makes life. It's a beautiful thing. Sex is like fire. Right, a fire out of a fireplace, bad thing. Burn your house down. Mm-hmm. In a fireplace, it warms the entire house. Right, so sexual intimacy in marriage is a beautiful thing. Outside of it, it will destroy you. Also, companionship. My wife is not my best friend. She is my wife, and that's even more glorious. I'm only going to have one wife. I'm not a Muslim, and uh, I'm going to, or a Mormon for that. Uh, <laughs> what are we allowed? How how far can I push this? <laughs> um, but um, anyhow. Um, that companionship is very special because she and I, we have this mission to build this household for the glory of God that includes our children. We are very invested in their well-being. She depends on me. I depend on her. Uh, Xenophon uh, was a Roman guy that said, uh, without my wife, I would die. And people hear that. They think it's romantic. Oh, he would die. What it actually means, no, literally, I need her so bad, the whole household would fall apart. My children need a mother, and I need feminine influence in my life. Women help cultivate the masculine desire. Men like to push things out. So, like, I bring home the, the flowers. She makes the bread, mm-hmm. right? The women, women are cultivators. They're perfectors. It's a beautiful thing. Then also, you have children. Like, that... The battles we're involved in right now are intergenerational. You're not going to change the West around. And God could have an awesome move of revival. That would be beautiful. And, and we pray that would happen, mm. right? But generally, these things happen not in days and weeks or weeks and months, but rather years and decades. And so the future of the churches are children. And so we have to have children and raise them up to trust the Lord. And so marriage does all that, and that's a beautiful thing. So uh, Men Driscoll, who was a guy that was popular for a while, he got in some trouble. But he had a great saying, men are like trucks. The more weight you put on them, uh, the straighter they drive. And the more responsible you take, the more focus you, you get. You put aside those childish things. I play Mario Kart with my kids or Halo from time to time or whatever. But it's it's just for fun here and there for a few minutes. And mm. I'm, I'm building real things. Yeah. Right? We're planting churches, starting businesses, raising up children. Real things, physical things you can touch and see with your own eyes. Yeah, cool. Well, we've got the, uh, the phone lines open. And we've had a call from Alex in Melbourne this morning. So, Alex, uh, welcome to... 2020, what was your uh, question for Michael? Uh, are you talking to me? Yes, yeah, Alex, is it? Oh, yeah, sorry, the the line cut in late. Okay. Uh, yes, um, uh, how, do, how do you understand, what's the message can we take from the Bible where, um, where they come to get Jesus and uh, Peter takes out the sword, cuts off the ear of the servant there, and Jesus says, put your sword away. So, as far as defence goes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, good question. How would you respond to that, Michael? Well, Jesus already told Peter that he was going to go to the cross, right? He said, get behind me, Satan. Right? And so uh, Peter, again, is just naive. He doesn't understand uh, the divine plan there, that Jesus must go to the cross to die for mankind. So one takeaway is that we our, our behavior needs to be in line with God's will. God's will is most clearly revealed to us in his word. And so Peter should have had that, that sword sheathed and listened to Jesus, and he didn't do that. Now, in terms of self-defense, um, it is our responsibility to defend uh, the innocent. So one principle is that uh, we're not to be vigilantes. Batman is appealing to us, but he's not biblical, okay? Uh, we ha- there's actual means which God works through. One is what we call the civil magistrate of the government. So the sword is given to the government, not to the individual. And so we have to work through those things so much that we can. In chaotic times, like judges, every man does what's right in his own eyes, but that's uh, that's not going to bring God's righteousness to, to bear. Mm. Well, thank you for your call, Alex, and for your question. Certainly a good thought, I guess, around that you know idea of uh, you know defending yourself. And uh, uh, thank you for the response there. Uh, reminder, the phone lines are open, 1-800-316-316. we got uh, probably time for one other call before we uh, wrap things up today. But uh, just coming back to what we were talking about in terms of marriage, and again, um, you know, passivity uh, within, um, and again, obviously in the society that we live in today, um, where men are often sort of on the back foot, you know, being more uh, passive in their roles, particularly within a marriage relationship. How can passivity negatively affect a relationship like that? A lot of women suffer from decision fatigue, right? They're, they're making a thousand decisions because the husband won't step in. So we've been taught servant leadership, and it sounds good at first, but servant leadership is has been twisted to be that we give those we're serving whatever they want. So we're kind of like their pack mule. But actually, leadership itself is a service. Anyone that's led people, it's hard to take responsibility mm. and be decisive. And so guys can uh, be decisive, and they'll, they'll bless their wife because that's one decision they don't have to make anymore. Now, obviously, you want to get her input and insight into those things, depending on the severity of, of the, the decision. Some things I don't ask my wife because we, we already have a division of labor in our marriage. But if the bigger the decision, uh, I'm the one that has to take the responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. And right, So authority and responsibility should always be kept at parity. So if you have the authority to be, take, make a decision, well, you have to bear the responsibility. And we see that constantly, that men bear the responsibility. Namely, Adam, because you listen to the voice of your wife, that's part of the curse. right? So we know that uh, men have headship, even pre-fall, because part of the curse is that Adam had failed to be the leader in it. So take, uh, make decisions uh, – informed decisions for your family so your wife can focus on doing her work and doesn't have to make all the decisions. Don't be passive. Don't be a bump on the log. Bring something to your marriage. Mm. Well, just as mentioned, time for one more question. And John's called in from Adelaide with a question. Thank you, John, for your uh, question for Michael. What is it? Yes. Um, speaking of marriage, uh, in two days' time, my wife and I have been married for 34 years. And... One thing that really uh, I found out, it's a nice way of saying it, is that a happy wife is a happy life. And uh, I've also found that being having Jesus Christ in the center of our marriage, that we are able to go work through situations and troubles that I don't know. What would, what would you say, uh, Michael, to that? 
Well, I would say um, what made Pilate's wife happy was John's head on a platter. And so <laughs> the question is, like your, your second point's the main one, yeah. that Jesus Christ is at the center of your life. If your, life, if your wife is made happy by righteousness and good things, then yes. Um, so, but th- men can sin. Men can have sinful urges, make sinful decisions, have sinful desires. So can women. Women didn't escape the fall. So I, I want my wife to be happy, but sometimes that means I, uh, I still have to take a stand. Like maybe she wants me to be softer on the boy, but this time I have to be hard on the boy because if I don't, he's not going to learn to control himself. Like if, if, if like a bigger brother like slaps his little sister, I need to be severe with that. Um, so he learns that a man can't hit a woman and that might make her unhappy, uh, but you have to do what's right. But So we care about what a wife has to say, but just remember John's head on a platter was a bad thing. <laughs> and so we have to be uh, controlled by the word of God, both men and women. Yeah, good illustration. Well, thank you, John, for your call. And uh, that really does uh, uh, bring us to the end of our time together today. Thank you, Michael, for uh, joining us, for your wisdom. And a reminder that uh, that book is called It's Good to Be a Man. And there's a website with the same title. It's goodtobeaman.com. Uh, you can see uh, lots of resources, podcasts, and, of course, uh, find out more about the book and Michael's ministry there as well. So, Michael, thanks again for your time and for being with us. And I should mention before I say goodbye that uh, the, the conference is on this weekend. So Friday night, all day Saturday, uh, stand-firm.com.au is the place to go. Uh, for that, Vision Radio is a promo code you can use for a $40 discount off tickets. So jump in on that. But, Michael, again, thank you so much for being a part of our time today on 2020. Thank you so much. God bless. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.